optophobia, the fear of opening one's eyes. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you, our listeners, to move beyond that fear, to solve riddles they don't want us to unriddle, to investigate supposedly ironclad truths, to unearth evidence buried for so long they believed it would stay buried. Season 4. It's likely you've never heard of the most important movie of 1989. That's because in the end, Relentless was just another forgotten 1980s slasher film. But director William Lustig's original plan could have changed cinematic history forever. Lustig flavored his movie with enough subliminal messaging to spark mass murder by hundreds of wannabe serial killers sitting in the nation's theaters that summer. Why didn't it work? And why is Lustig still taking lunch meetings in Hollywood rather than rotting in jail? This season on Optophobia, we'll track down the distortions, the assumptions, the omissions. Are you bored by the lies? Open your eyes. Hi, everybody. I am your host, Tony Blundetto. Have you ever watched a movie stripped of its musical score? It feels, of course, unfinished. Music is crucial in storytelling on film. It gives the audience emotional cues. It creates tension in the right places. And in at least one case, it is infused with melodic instructions to commit mass murder. We are very lucky to have a key member of the Relentless crew with us today. But before we get to Brad, I want to welcome my co-host for this week, Jeffrey Dahlmer. Yeah, just make sure you're hitting that that L. I always do. I try to, at least. Okay. How's your week been, Jeff? Does anyone call you Jeff? Yeah. Or you Jeffrey? I mean, yeah, I've got friends. Friends call me Jeff. Okay. Well, I, some Jeffreys prefer Jeffrey. I mean, I prefer Jeffrey. Some Cliffords prefer Cliff or Ford. I mean, there's you know, different names. I've never met a Clifford who prefers to be called Ford, but that's here and there. But I do have friends, and they take liberties with my name. I, I've told them I prefer being called Jeffrey, and they call me Jeff. Slightly uh, irritating. But How's your week been? Um, have you ever it, – It's. I'm trying to look for like a metaphor to explain this. You ever been driving, and you, you get a flat tire? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's how my week's been. I have a flat tire. Did you have an actual flat tire or, or this is a metaphor? No, I did. I had a flat tire this week. Do you know how to change a flat tire? Was it a pretty easy fix? I do know how to f- change a flat tire. It's happened before. Uh, one time I was hanging out with uh, a woman I was dating and uh, let's just say I was going to dump her off. and Drop her off? What did I say? You said you were going to go dump her off? Yeah, I meant drop her off. I was going to drop her off and I got a flat tire driving over some rocks in the field and I had to stop and I was like, Oh, of all times to get a flat tire. That's when I'm about to dump off this person. Drop her. Off. Yeah. Drop her off at home. Um, she lives in a field. Oh, she does now. She does. She doesn't want, I left her cause we got in an argument and I said, I don't want her in my car anymore. So you, you dropped her off. I drove to the middle of a field and I said, you know what? You're really getting on my nerves. Get out of my car. 
and I made her get out and I drove off and I never looked back. We haven't talked since. And that's where you got the flat tire. It was like one of my first times getting a flat tire, but I had all the equipment to fix a flat tire. I had, um, I had the wench, I had the, um, tire iron, I had the zip ties, I had the, um, fertilizer, I had the duct tape, I had everything you need to fix a flat tire. So it's fine. What's the fertilizer part? Uh, of the flat tire. Oh, sometimes people don't know this. You can fill punctures with fertilizer and it'll uh, kind of turn your, your uh, regular tires into never flats. And then you just put the duct tape on the, on the fertilizer. Yeah, and I put the duct tape on top of that and I zip tie around that. That doesn't sound like a smooth ride. It's just to get you to a mechanic. It's not going to hold for like a, like a cross country trip. Right. But if you, if you need a patch real quick, and you just had all that, you have all that stuff in your trunk? Yeah, I keep that kind of stuff in my trunk, uh, you know, roadside assistant supplies. So, What's going on at Hollywood Video? Any new releases this week? I mean, yeah, there's some new releases. We have um, amateur videos that came in, which are like handy cam stuff. They're supposed to be scary uh, movies. So These are like point of view yeah, these are POV. These are POV scary movies where people like go to like haunted houses and stuff. And you guys rent those out to other people. So we say, hey, we got some super indie stuff that just came in. Would you like to check out these POV scary house uh, movies? They're free to rent. So some new ones of those came in. Or what are they? Uh, off the top of my head, uh, you've got Shanghai Hotel which is like four YouTubers go to Shanghai during COVID and go to a abandoned hotel and stay there. And there's a bunch of stuff that apparently happens. You've got Manson's men, which is where uh, a group of uh, cult leaders uh, have filmed themselves retracing the steps of the Manson murders. And then uh, I think the last one was um, a remake of children of the corn with the same title, same title, but it just says in the beginning remake colon children of the corn and have those been popular uh you know it's it's hard to say what's popular and what's not not many people come into hollywood video for the non back of the room videos if you know what i mean so um i'd say they're they're popular to me because i've had to watch them not so much even when i've slipped them into the um bag of people who are rented videos they've kind of come back or called the store and, and like cursed me out because i gave them a video they didn't want so p- not popular in terms of nobody actually watching them yeah yeah okay well unfortunately our guest this week south dakota ghost town tour guide bobby ann marsh was unable to make it bobby ann is of course the president of bordering on cannibal gals an all-female organization of relentless fans and failed serial killers. A few days ago, our producers received an email from Bobby Ann, which I'll read from. Dear Octopus Podcast, I was really excited to be a guest on your radio show to talk about the greatest film ever put on film. But at our most recent BCG gathering, the ladies were practicing eating raw flesh using the carcass of a rotting donkey. And several of us are now in the hospital. Sorry. And then she has like a donkey emoji and a green, uh, like puke face emoji. Hmm. So we'll try to get Bobby Ann back on the show when she's feeling better. We were extremely lucky though. The last minute our producers 
found our guest for today. Joining us from his home in Buffalo, New York, Brad Meglin is with us. Welcome to Optophobia, Brad. Hey, Tony. How you doing? I'm good. Tell us uh, a little about what you do in Buffalo. Oh, I mean, I do I do so much stuff up here in Buffalo. Uh, I mean, what I do, do what, I, what I'm what i paid for is I'm a TSA agent. That's what I do. Yeah, I'm the guy that checks the bags. I put my hands in all the bags, and I check them. Make sure you're not putting any bombs on the plane. Yeah, you know, first, I call myself the first line of defense for planes. And, uh, you know, then at night, most nights I'm down at the bar and I got a couple of uh, cover bands and we do, you know, we do like rock and roll music. Uh, it's all cover music. They don't let me do any originals. I try I try to sneak a few originals in there, but mostly they just tell me to stick to the covers. But uh, that's, you know, that's, what me, that's what me in a nutshell. This guy has a thick buffalo accent. Are you having trouble understanding him? No, I'm getting it all. Uh, but it's just very thick. Uh, can I just say, uh, th- he said the TSA makes sure you're not taking bombs on the plane. I can tell you firsthand, they take more stuff from you f- than just bomb making equipment. Because I had to redo all of my roadside assistance stuff because I went on a trip. I was going to Aruba and I had zip ties and I had. You took all your roadside stuff on it? On- yeah, because you, you never know when you're gonna get a flat tire. So I took I took my zip ties, I took my trash bags, I took my mace, I took my duct tape, and they took all of that from me at the TSA. I said, "What what's the issue with me having this on the plane? None of this damages the plane at all, and it's all check luggage, so it's all I'm not even gonna have access to it." And they said, and I'm not lying to you, this is verbatim. They said. These are things a serial killer has. Can, can I like let you into a, a little bit of an insider uh, secret here? So there's a good chance that maybe something was broken, maybe in the TSA like workroom, and we needed that equipment to fix something. You know, maybe the microwave was broken. We needed some duct tape to put it. Whenever I see something that I want or that I need out of someone's luggage, I say that it's dangerous, and then I take it out of there. I knew it. I thought this was happening because I said, there's no way someone wants my DVD of Kevin Hart's uh, very first movie, Soul Plane. And then I was going through the TSA in Atlanta, and they they took it from me. And I said, well, that seems kind of odd because no one wants to watch this movie. I, I'll tell you this. You probably made a break room very happy that day. They are probably watching Soul Plane and having a really good time. That explains the laughing I heard. Brad, Is there are there things that you have found yourself some weird things or some interesting things that you've you've had to confiscate or that you just wanted to confiscate yeah yeah i mean like i take something from most every bag i'm gonna be honest like there's only a couple things that i will say i'm taking most things i just kind of put in my pocket and don't tell anybody but like weird things that i've seen look everyone's putting sex toys in their bags I do it. Yeah, we're all doing it. So, Brad, that's only part of your TSA is only part of what you do. You also you said you're a musician. Also, what's the name of your band? Oh, so we're called the Buffalo Soldiers. And you do mostly covers. They they don't let us. We have over a hundred original songs, but we can't play them anywhere. We also can't record them anywhere. Are they all reggae? No, no, you're a reggae band. No, no, no. We've never done. We. Why do people always ask me that whenever I say the name of my band? I think he's saying because Buffalo Soldiers are, you know, the the African American soldiers who served on the Western Front during the American Civil War from Buffalo. I've never heard of that. Okay, that's a real thing. That's literally what Buffalo Soldiers comes from. No, I thought I made it up. It's a cool. It sounds. We're from Buffalo. It sounds cool. Yeah, we dress like militia men. Yeah, that right there. The part with the militia costumes probably where it derives from they're not costumes but well i'm just saying um 
Buffalo soldiers were the African-American soldiers who served in the Western Front following the American Civil War. And what does that have to do with reggae? Well, reggae is traditionally done by black people. Maybe. Okay. So whenever we play, we do get a lot of like, hey, you know, play Marley. And I'm like, I don't need I'm not gonna, I don't know how to do that. Okay. I play Ozzy. I'll play Ozzy. Yeah. So you guys cover Black Sabbath? <laughs> yeah. Sabbath, Zeppelin, Halen, all the two word things that we can make one word. I want to see this, uh, this, this group. We don't, we don't have any YouTube videos. I look, I go online every night and I check YouTube to make sure no one's posting any of our videos because I don't want anyone to see. If you want to see it, you got to come experience it. Let's take a quick break and we will be right back with our guest today, Brad Megler. Hey, Optifobes. It's that time of year when, if you live in the Northeast or the Midwest, you really start jonesing for the beach. Have you seen pictures of those pink sand beaches in Bermuda and the Bahamas? Imagine if those tiny specks of pink coral sand were salt instead. Pink salt. And imagine making a brine with that pink salt and dunking a cow in it. That pink salt is actually called prog powder number one. And it's the primary ingredient in pickling brisket into corned beef. Why is this important? Because here at Blend Venom Solutions, we've created another soda in our meat pops line called corned beef cranberry tea. Meat pops are a great way to drink your lunch to save time. Prog powder number one is the agent that turns corned beef pink and combined with the vibrant red of our cranberries from Boggs in Jackson County, Wisconsin, and the venom of the saw-scaled viper, corned beef cranberry tea tastes as refreshing as it looks. Remember, though, that the venom of the saw-scaled viper can cause intracranial hemorrhage. So don't chug corned beef cranberry tea, or that ice cream headache might turn out to be your brain bleeding out. Blend Venom Solutions. We take away your thirst using snakes. Okay, we are back with our guest this week, Brad Meglin. Brad, we were talking a little bit about what you do in Buffalo and about your music career there, but I wanted to take you back a little bit farther because the reason that we were so excited to have you on was about your role as a musician and as a composer for the movie that we're talking about this season, Relentless. So I wondered if you could talk about your role on that film. Yeah, it's taking me back so far. I mean, so, you know, so there I am. I'm playing a bar. It's like 1 a.m. We've had a few drinks. We've done a couple lines. You know how it was back in the day. And I'm approached by this man. This like really like he looks pale. He's kind of gone. He walks up onto the stage during the performance. And I thought that was really weird. But, you know, he stops me and we're we're chatting on stage and the the audience is very upset. And he tells me that his name is William Lustig. And I'm like, I'm supposed to know who that is. You had this conversation during the set? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, look, it's 1 a.m. There's not a lot of people there, and those who are there are either like so drunk or hooking up or throwing up or sleeping, or they're into it. You know, they're like saying maybe it's some kind of weird thing. So we have this like conversation. He tells me his name, William Mustig, and I, I I don't know who he is. And he says he's a big Hollywood guy, and I'd never been to Hollywood. You know, this was in Buffalo. I don't know why he was in Buffalo, but he's a big Hollywood guy. I said that's that's great. I mean, have you done anything? Have you done anything that I've seen? 
and he named some movies that all sounded kind of gross. And I, you know, I'd only, I, I'd only seen very few movies up to that point. I didn't have a lot of money. What were the movies you seen up to that point? Oh, well, just like, like home movies that I had made myself, you, you know, I would like hear about movies and then I would like try to do them myself. Okay. So we're having this conversation on stage and he, he asked me some weird questions. Like he says, have you ever killed anybody? And at that point, no. Wait, what? And he said, I'm making a movie. And I said, great for you. What do you want? And he said, I want you to compose the music. And I asked him to define compose. Is that because you didn't know what compose meant or that you wanted his definition of it? Both. You know, you always want to be sure that you know what you're agreeing to before you do it. So I said, sure. I mean, I've never composed a movie before. And he said, well, it's, it's, he told me it was easy. He just said, he'll show me the movie and then we'll make the music and then it'll go and I'll make $50. And I, that's more money I've ever seen in my entire life at that point. You live like a king in Buffalo on $50. For $50? Oh my God. You know what I would get? I would get a hot tub and I'd put a jet ski in that hot tub. For 50 bucks? And then I have money left over to go to McDonald's. What would you do with the other 20? Spend it all on apple pies. Once you had the assignment or agreed to it, how did you approach the actual composition? So he flew me to Hollywood, which I'd never been in a plane before. And he told me that, oh, he said, he said that to look forward to it. And I did. I bought all my stuff. Oh my goodness. It was one. I've never been on a plane. It was so great. Maybe that's why I'm a TSA agent now. I got in that plane that one time. Never again. That's the one time I've been on a plane. I walked back from Hollywood. So he puts me in this room and it's just me and him. And he puts in this VHS tape and he says, okay, I'm going to point to you whenever you want, whenever I want you to do music. And then you just kind of do it with your mouth. And then we'll say yes or no to that. Okay. That's great. You did the music with your mouth? Just to give him an idea of what I was thinking or what I was thinking of doing. But you're a lead guitarist in your cover band for the Buffalo Soldiers. Why didn't you just bring your instruments? Oh, because he said they wouldn't fit on the plane. And he was right. It was a really small seat. TSA probably took it from you, too. No, TSA didn't exist then. He, he would get to a point in the movie, and he would point to you, and you would say, dun, dun, dun. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I would go like, dun, dun. A lot of things I did were just like uh, like Black Sabbath songs. And he kept being like, "No, you can't. We we can't afford that." And then I would like do certain things, and he would say like, "That doesn't make me want to kill anyone." And I was like, "That's weird." And he said, "The music should make me want to kill somebody." And I, you know, then I didn't know what it meant. I just thought he was being a weird abstract Hollywood guy. But, you know, the whole movie goes through. We got, I've mouthed all the songs, so we're, we're good. And then we go into the studio, and he's, and he's hired a band. He wouldn't let me bring the other Buffalo Soldiers over. And that's smart, because most of them can't leave the state of New York. Oh, so the Buffalo Soldiers were already together at that point. Oh, yeah, we've been a band most of my adult life. And that's, that's done almost nothing. You know, I mean, like, should I quit Buffalo Soldiers? <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm not going to do it. Okay, so he hires this band, and they all look they look weird. And we start playing the music, and he's watching from the behind that glass. And um, look, don't tell him that I – you guys don't know him, right? He's come to Hollywood Video before, but I don't know him, like, on a personal basis. I just know him as the guy who made that shitty movie. Well, yeah, it's not a great movie. Music's pretty good, though, right? <laughs> No, that sucked. 
That made me want to kill someone. Ouch. Well, okay. Well, then at least we accomplished what he wanted to do. But behind that glass, I, I could see him. And every time I'd hit a certain note, he would raise his arm because he he wasn't the actual producer. He was sitting behind the producer. And I'd hit a certain note and he'd raise his arm and he would start to bring it down towards the producer's neck. And then I'd play a different note and he would stop. And I'd be like, that's weird. So I'd play the note again and he would get closer to the neck. Yeah. And I hit it again and it would stop. And then he killed the guy. He killed the producer? I think so. Because. When I went in there, he wasn't there anymore. And he told me he had left, but I think he killed him. Was there any, like, signs of struggle? Signs of struggle. Well, we were all eating, like, cheese sandwiches. Um, real low budget. So, like, we were real. Like, it was real struggle. Like that? No, I meant signs of struggle after he, they, he just killed him and there's no blood or anything anywhere? Nothing? No, no, no. And the guy's car was gone, too. So, I don't know. He did a really good job cleaning it up. I'll have you know there's no such thing as doing a good job cleaning up a kill you always leave behind something i mean this guy was great he like it looked like he had left like if i didn't think he had killed him i would have sworn the guy just got up and left so there's no trace no nothing and then the crazy thing is that guy called me the next day and he was like i quit oh so he he wasn't dead no i think he's dead (laughs) (laughs) so brad i have a question about the actual recording of the score when you're in that room with the other musicians and Lustig and this producer on the other side of the glass wall, was your composition written down or were you just saying to the musicians, dun, 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 and then they would like repeat that with their instruments? A little bit of both. Like I would write down a picture of what I wanted it to sound like. And then I would also do the mouth thing. What were some of the pictures? Like what would you, what would you draw? So I would like draw what I saw in the movie. So it would be like a reenactment of the movie because they had never seen the movie. So they were going completely blind and you know, hindsight's 2020. I could have done it in a better way because it didn't work. Neither thing got through to them. So I think he killed them too. Did you ever hear from any of them again? A couple days later. Yeah. Okay. So these calls that you're getting after the fact, I'm pretty sure that's just uh, the producer that you saw calling you. And creating an alibi from their phones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's the same thing that Nicole Brown Simpson did the day after she called OJ and left a voicemail. Yeah, that's true. Said I'm not dead. Yeah, I mean that's that's why the case was such a struggle to pin down on one person. Well, that's why it was so easy for him to walk free. He had an audio recording of her saying that she's not dead. He's like, "Hello, if I killed someone, how they leave this voice message the day after they're supposed to be dead?" Mm-hmm. Case closed. We can wrap this up and go home, I think. Yeah. So then I ended up doing all the recording myself, which is fun. You know, I dabble. I'm I'm a lead guy, but I play little drums and a little keyboard and a little triangle. And uh, I thought I did a pretty good job. Lustig didn't like it so much, though. I mean, he he's a bit of a perfectionist. And uh, he kept telling me that my stuff wasn't scary enough, that it didn't move him enough. Well, I think uh, whatever you did work, because like I said, when I watched it, um, the music. Did make me want to kill someone, if not myself. So it it did its purpose, I think, on that end. Looking back on it, when, when it happened, I didn't really think anything of it. I think it was just, just a weird guy. And then, you know, I... People were trying to kill people, and they 
and I 100% believe that Lustig doing it on purpose. I mean, not just because he told me to make music that w- people want to kill people to, but because I have a feeling. You know those things that you like know are true? Yeah. Yeah, you have a hunch. Yeah, a hunch. I mean, are you worried about your legacy as a musician, about being associated with this kind of criminal enterprise that Lustig led? You know, I, ugh, I spent that $50 so fast. That it almost like it didn't have, you know, my, yeah, my name was wiped from the movie. Mm-hmm. All like history of me working on that movie is gone. And so mostly it's been okay. People don't even believe me when I tell them that I composed the music for Relentless. It's usually a two part reaction. The first one is, what movie is that? And two is, no, you didn't. Your name's not on it. It's kind of an amazing thing that you wrote music that made Jeffrey Dahmer want to kill people. Dahmer. With an H, with an H. Dahmer. I st- it still sounds like you're putting an L in there. Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer. No, the real killer, the, guy, the serial killer, his name's spelled with an H, not an L. But it's pronounced Dahmer. No, it's... Dahmer. Yes, Dahmer. That's how it should sound. But what Brad did was to make music, to compose a film score that made Jeffrey Dahmer want to kill people. Yeah, it made me also upset and angry. Um, I just remember the first time I watched the film, um, I had a turtle. And then I, next thing I know, after the film, uh, my turtle's gone. The turtle didn't like, like ran away after watching the movie? I don't know. I blacked out. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know a turtle could drown. And I, I blacked out. I woke up and I was like, wow, where, where's, I got this big, huge turtle tank. Where's my turtle at? Turns out it, it it somehow got into the toilet, and it was shell side up. And I was like, "What? Is, what? This is weird." I didn't, I didn't think turtles could drown, you know, because they're an animal that can live in the water and on land. You know, a fish can drown. See, that seems like a one of those myths too. If it's in the air, it drowns. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about in the water it could drown. Because when I think of drowning, I think of being submerged in water. You know, knowing that my music made someone possibly kill a turtle i have a new turtle i just want to put that out there my i I have i found a new turtle i went on i went on a walk and there's a pond in my backyard and i i found it i saw a turtle i said well you'll be my replacement and you haven't killed him no 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 he's he's uh adapted quite nicely to the uh, terrarium brad what what were you going to say knowing that your your music made somebody potentially murder a turtle i don't feel good about it but it's nice to know that Something that I did can affect someone, negative or positive. It's good just to know that something I'm doing made someone do something. Yeah. Because most of the time, the music that I make just make people leave the bar that I'm in. Has anyone ever left and come back and said, hey, just so you know, I wasn't leaving because I didn't like the music. I was leaving because I had to go pick up my younger brother or younger sister who was at a recital or something. Once someone left. And then they came back and then they came on stage and they said, hey, man, I didn't go. I didn't leave. I was going to go pick up my sister from a recital. Was that during the set again? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, well, that's great because I thought he had been murdered because when I looked up, he was gone. Do you guys charge a cover? No, but we pay women to come. And does that work? No. They, they don't show up? There's some kind of disconnect between the Buffalo soldiers and women. <laughs> and I don't know what it is. My mom used to say... It was because I was too handsome and that they all were like 
intimidated. Intimidated. Yeah, my mom used to say the same thing. So, Brad, we're, we're uh, unfortunately almost out of time, but I wanted to ask you about the end of your story. You obviously walked back to Buffalo from Hollywood at the end of all of this. How do you frame this experience in your own mind from 1989 up to now? I think I consider those to be my my like salad days. You know, those were the good days. I was on a plane and I got to play music and be in a movie. And now I work for the TSA and the benefits are bad and the pay is bad. And no one likes me. You know, I have one of those jobs that no one likes. In a way, we're kind of similar because I have one of those jobs that people, I repulse people. No one likes me. But you provide a service. Well, technically you do too. You, you kind of keep this guy safe. All I do is steal dildos from people's bags. Use them to prop up my TV. You know, William Lustig, for for as messed up as he was, I think I loved the guy. You know? I would never would have left Buffalo if he hadn't flown me out there. I never would have recorded music. <laughs> it changed my life. Do you think you're still holding on to that? Because he flew you out of of Buffalo and now you work for the TSA, but you hate your job, but it's kind of like the TSA is like you being close to the last great thing that happened to you. I think so. Yeah. I think I work for the TSA because it makes me think of when I was on a plane and I flew to Hollywood and I recorded music in a studio for a movie that was really bad for a guy that was trying to get people to kill people. I think that's why I work for the TSA. Not because I'm uneducated. (laughs) Okay, well, we're going to have to leave it there for now. I want to thank our guest this week, Brad Meglin. Uh, Brad, thank you very much for telling your story. I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, you guys, so much. Uh, Buffalo Soldiers, we perform every night at the one bar that's open in Buffalo right now. Come on by. Tell him Brad sent you and stay for the whole set. And uh, William Lustig, if you're listening, I love you. You changed my life. And yeah, my life is the exact same right now as it was when you first met me. But you changed it. And I'm forever grateful. Even though you try to make people kill people and you try to make me help you. Thank you. It's an emotional way to end this this uh, episode. And thank you to my co-host, Jeffrey Dahlmer. Hey, uh, it's Jeffrey Dahlmer with an L. Come check me out at the last Hollywood video on the planet in Hollywood, California. It's a two-for-one special. Any video you rent, I will put another video in your bag. But don't you do that anyway? Yes, I, I do do that anyway. It's, but it's still a two-for-one special. What if my bag is full? I'll, 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 I'll find a way to get it in your car. In my car. I don't have a car. I can't drive. Well, uh, you'll be leaving with the video. Please join us next week when our guest will be Nikolai Morosov from Yazoo City, Mississippi. Nikolai works in the home accents division of the Furnitureville in Yazoo City, specializing in throws and poofs. Earlier in his career, he worked in Hollywood as an apprentice to a set decorator and says he has a list of prop requests from relentless director William Lustig labeled quote props I need as subliminal cues to trigger murder. 
So that should be interesting. Thank you for listening to Optophobia. I am Tony Blondetto, and I'll leave you with this. From the ocean side to the mountainside, just who the hell do you think you are? If you've got a connection to Relentless, we'd like to hear it. You can find us on our website, optophobia.org, or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at at optophobes. And please subscribe and rate the show if you like it. Thank you to Brian Jackson, who played Brad Meglin. Brian produces Pod Chef, a podcast in which he and his co-hosts rewatch Top Chef and discuss it episode by episode. He also has a new series on the app, Rizzle, called Obvious Twilight Zone, with his sketch team, Total Smoke Show. And he's a writer for Pagliacci, part of the sketch comedy collective, Boogie Manja. Follow him on Twitter at at NotBrianJackson. Thank you to Jamal Newman, who played Jeffrey Dahmer. Jamal performs with Lena Dunham, a Washington Improv Theater house ensemble, and Nixon. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at at HelloNewman and find him at JamalNewman.com. Optophobia was produced by Tim Townsend. Music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Cover art by Claire Smalley. Additional website art by Nicole Bennett. Website by Chance Griffin. Thanks for listening. Until next week, keep them open.